0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. CJ Harvey here, Cooper Simmerman with me. As always, Coop, what's going on with you? What's up, my man? How are you? You good? I'm well. I feel like we just... Um... Is it January or February?
1: It's February. <laughs> Is that this episode that I messed that <laughs> up? That was this for? episode, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> We've just
1: been grinding over here Mountaineer Media. We've had <laughs> you've,
0: you've lost all track of time. Meeting,
1: zoomed. yeah. <laughs> Life was good, man. What's well, um, glad to be yeah. back for another episode, guys. We have a, a fun one, um, an important one. I think all of the episodes are important, but this one, you know, it's it's a subject that I said on the podcast, CJ, You know, it gets coal gets people fired up, emotional, depending on I guess if you have interest in it, if you've got family in it, if you've got you know business interests, who whatever it may be. But I've always said that I mean, the West Virginia people deserve to have a nuanced conversation about coal, and you know, and it's. Both sides of the cold story is should be in the public domain. Um, in Junior, uh, I think much credit to Mason. Mason, you uh, found Junior. You watched some of the stuff on, you know, on Twitter and on their website, on their and he's been and on, on Vice. Facebook.
0: Yeah, I mean he he's had some pieces really kind of hit national mainstream. News. Yeah, yeah, mainstream media.
1: So yeah, so I mean, guys, you're, you're in for a conversation about Coal River Mountain Watch with Junior Walk, and um, we kind of just go across their work, what they do, his lived experiences with coal mining and keeping these companies accountable and the impact that it does have on the state and the realities of it. And um, I don't know, I found it, you know, extremely informing for myself, stuff that I didn't know or quite realize. And I just think it's, it's important to listen for folks you are happy to share it with people.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll get to the accountability here in a second, because i want to tease that a little bit more before we get to the talk. But Junior, what a great name, right? It's not exactly Junior Soprano, but Junior Walk is is a good name. <laughs> it's, it's, a, like, it's a
1: cowboy name right there. Yeah, it is. It's Walk. a
0: cowboy name. This is a Southern West Virginia boy right here, Junior Walk. So no, and, and you were talking about the accountability, Junior Walk, Cold River Mountain Watch is pretty much a a watchdog company I I think I call him a watchdog in this episode and but he's using drone technology and his knowledge of the, the West Virginia hills to basically keep an eye on these coal companies and make sure that they are keeping up with the rules and regulations that they have to and if there are violations this guy literally records it with his drone and some of these coal impoundments, these whole slurry impoundments, mountaintop removal. That's really what his company is focused on, the, the Coal River Mountain Watch, eliminating mountaintop removal, uh, mountaintop. Uh, I'm getting all mixed up here, but anyway, he is holding these people accountable by using his drone, shooting this footage and then turning it into the Department of Environmental Protection. And these guys get fined and um, death by a thousand cuts you know eventually you you start taking chipping away at these guys and and you're gonna end up making them either more accountable or you're gonna end up getting kicked out of where they're at and so anyway to bring this full circle juniors is he really is this guy that is holding big Coal accountable because he cares about his home and he cares about West Virginia and coal is a very hot topic in West Virginia It will always be that way, and whether you're pro or anti, whether you're on one side or the other, I think we can all agree that keeping our water clean, keeping our, you know, keeping the, and and, and just holding big coal accountable is something that we can all agree on. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, making sure the people that come in and extract the coal that West Virginia is known for, that they're doing the right thing, and that's what's important.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, everybody, you know, everybody wants clean water. They want, you know, no one wants a higher cancer rate. No one wants, you know, different things. This should be things that are outside, yeah, outside political bounds, outside of, you know, really philosophical bounds. It should be, yeah, I should be in favor of making sure every West Virginian yeah. is is a good, healthy, you know, yes. environment to live and grow up in, right? We can all yeah. agree on that. Um, so, yeah. Wait,
0: Before we get to. Oh, go ahead. So wait, something else that, that we said that we were going to talk about during this episode. I, I dropped a TikTok not too long ago. Saw this map about West oh, Virginia. Yeah. If West Virginia is considered basically it, there's this map of the 50 states, uh, 40, 38, 37, whatever of the countries in green. They're the north. They're not considered the south. Part of Texas, Florida, Georgia, Alabama—that's the Deep South. Then you get into the Carolinas; that's the South. It's not the Deep South; it's still the South. But then you have the sort of South states: Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, and, and maybe North Carolina. I forget who the the sort of South were, but it sparked this discussion: Is West Virginia a Southern state, a Northern state? Is it you know the southernmost Northern state, the northernmost Southern state? That's that's what I did grow up hearing. That West Virginia is the southernmost Northern state. the northernmost southern state but i think even that in itself it doesn't do it justice West virginia still doesn't fit in that category i don't not entirely i don't think you can like what do you think i I don't think you can just say that that either of those are right either i still think that there's some gray area there because depending on where you live your answer is going to be different
1: it's a tough one and i think it's not a coincidence that west virginia finds itself in this position because we are maybe the pandora's box most dynamic i think misunderstood right. people of Absolutely. the country so it it makes sense why we find ourselves in that i think if you want to be one of those people that's like look at the civil war like okay yeah that you could say that angle north for south we joined the union we didn't want to be a part of the you know the confederacy in the south i see that but at the same time it's like you know if i if i'm up in new york or Philadelphia or wherever and I talk instantly people say well you're from the south yeah so, exactly. so exactly. okay so we have a southern drawl we have a southern yeah. culture culture so it's like you know it's tough I think it's I think the, the answer is maybe neither I think we're just I think we're just in this weird I think we're, we're all things of like people in the northern handle probably relate to you know you know Pennsylvania type stuff people in the southern coal fields probably feel like they're at the heart of the south so it's yeah exactly you know, and,
0: yeah no I, and that's what I said too it's like I in these uh, go sign up for the newsletter. Everybody should go sign up for the Mountaineer Media Newsletter. I post on Fridays like this West Virginia wisdom. On Tuesdays, we do West Virginia words of the week. Those are fun, too. Uh, (laughs) But on uh, this last West Virginia uh, wisdom of the week, it was like, yeah, your answer in Fairmont, if you're living in Fairmont, you're probably going to consider yourself more northern, you know, especially when you get up into the northern panhandle and then over in Martinsburg, Morgantown. culturally that feels more northern whereas logan and really south of charleston other south south of charleston it's more culturally southern so like even there are complexities within the state and then somebody said you know the mason dixon line is the deciding law well west virginia sits on the mason dixon line there's a piece of west virginia that's above it and a piece of west virginia that's below it so i don't think that's that's not a great answer either so i don't know we should not we should not box ourselves in already any more than the outside world already has. So we are not any of those things. We're not north, south, east, or west. We're just in West Virginia, man. I'm just in West Virginia.
1: That's the way it should be. Yeah, that was, that was that good. Was and we story. had fifty thousand people watch that TikTok and you know, a yeah. couple hundred I just played it accidentally. Um a couple hundred people yet comment. <laughs> <And> one more. <laughs> Go on there, check it out, let us know, email us your thoughts. Like I said, join the newsletter, mountaineermedia.org. TJ, other big announcements. Um, classic, you guys know the Almost Seven Classic is rolling along. People are buying their tickets. I'll say it a million times Friday, come there. You don't have to golf. We just want to gather innovative, passionate. Leaders, uh, West Virginians, so just come, network, hang out. You can stay at the resort. We got discount codes. You can bring your family. There's there's going to be an informal kind of like hiking and adventure group that's not you know going out on Saturday. So there's plenty to do. There's still golf teams left. There's still a few whole sponsors if you're a small business and you want to do that. Everything, like always, mountaineermedia.org. Get your ticket. But um, you know what is it? It's well today's the eighth. So literally like four months. Almost yeah. to the day yeah. away from now, we're going to be yep. in the, the beautiful Tucker County, man. So we're pumped for that.
0: And the day that this is released, it'll be the ninth. So it will be four months away from that. Yeah, so. exactly. Perfect. Good deal. All right. Mm-hmm. That's all we got. Let's get to the episode. Junior Walk. The sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. We're rolling into January. It's a short month, but we've already flown through January. It's February. Fuck, well, you're right, CJ. You're right. It is. It's, see, look how confused <laughs> I am. It's a short month in February, <laughs> but we've already flown through January and so I'm all discombobulated. It is nine in the morning, but I you do want to welcome- Tea, coffee, Unhand. three shots of espresso. I don't know what you need, but <laughs> <to> get, you <laughs> these need to Monday get fired mornings, up here. <laughs> these Monday morning ones are hit you fast. But Junior, welcome to the show, man. How are you?
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well this morning. How are you? all We're
0: good. Junior, did you know it was February though? Are you at least ahead of the game than where we were?
2: I did know it was February,, uh, just because the first of the month in my community is pretty obvious. What does that mean? That means the dollar store is popping. <laughs>
0: when everybody gets a little extra cash. Huh?
1: there is a, I saw a funny <laughs> meme with the Chinese balloon that flew over. It was like like Chinese launch investigation why there's so many dollar generals in West Virginia or something <laughs> like that. It was just like a, a stupid funny me. But but anyway, Junior, welcome to the show. Look, man, we've been going a little bit of a binge of your work and we're excited to have you on here to talk about it um, because it's, you know, it's extremely important work and it's also extremely important that I we've been saying for a long time that West Virginia needs a nuanced and deep conversation about coal mining because oftentimes it's so much uh emotion and pride based conversations that people immediately get on the topic and get a little bit like upset and frustrated because you feel like you're insulting their heritage or this that and the other so a healthy discussions debates even concerns uh about coal and coal mining and the impact on west virginia is extremely important man and and you're someone who is leading that effort i believe you know feel uh providing the information the intelligence the resources the the reality of on the ground results of it, um, maybe if you don't care to start and help our audience maybe really understand what exactly Cold River Mountain Watch is and how did you you know, kind of find yourself in this position?
2: Sure thing. Um, so Cold River Mountain Watch is a 501c3 nonprofit. We've been around since 1998 um, in the Cold River area. Um, I mean, that's, that's when we were founded. We've always been in this area. Um, it's always been, you know, headed up by people from down in, in here, Raleigh, Boone County areas, uh, along the, the big Coal river. Um, and yeah, essentially, uh, over the years, I mean, our, our, uh, mission statement is to stop mountaintop removal and to help rebuild healthy, sustainable communities. And, uh, So ever since then, that's been our main, uh, goal and, uh, our guiding principle for how we do our work. Um, and we've done everything over the years to try to be a thorn in the side to the coal industry, uh, whether that's lobbying, uh, you know, both in Charleston and in DC, uh, which we don't do too awful much of that these days. Um, or, uh, you know, uh. Like helping to gather uh scientific data for various lawsuits uh for, for suing coal companies for releasing you know uh, too many contaminants into the waterways um or uh like the, the the bulk of my work uh these days is going out and uh just documenting these uh these coal mine complexes and and different pieces of infrastructure like uh processing plants slurry dams things of that nature you know uh, and mostly i accomplish that with a drone just a consumer uh, phantom 4 uh, pro uh a drone and then put that up on youtube and you know just go over it kind of with a, a fine tooth comb and uh figure out if there's anything in there that we can bring up you know to the attention of the dep and get the coal companies in a little bit of trouble uh and that's really that's the bulk of what i do these days um You know, back, I've done this kind of stuff since uh, 2009, is when I first started getting involved with the Coal River Mountain Watch. And uh, there used to be a really active direct action campaign in this area. We've done, we used to do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, direct actions against the coal mining industry, whether that be, you know, tree sits or blockades or, you know, various other means of nonviolent resistance to shut them coal mines down, you know, for a little while, uh, by putting our, our bodies and our, our freedom on the line. But, uh, you know, sadly over recent years, kind of the energy for that sort of work isn't really, isn't really here no more. Um, and so that's why I've sort of pivoted into my current, I guess, like drone reconnaissance role at the organization. Um... But yeah, I'll quit. I'll quit rambling and running my mouth. I'll let y'all say something. I don't even know if I totally missed the mark there or not.
1: No, you did, man. And it's it's always it's always good because you know we read up and we kind of study. You know, we have a guest on. I want to educate myself about their work as much as possible. But our audience is obviously coming into it blind, without context. You providing that was extremely helpful. CJ, I thought you were jotting down some notes. What some thoughts?
0: No, just that there are a bunch of topics to touch on. But I want to go back to like you said that you started working for coal river mountain watch back in 2009 it's 23 so you know 14 years ago i mean you're only like 32 or 33 so you're in your early late teens early 20s when you kind of got started most of the time kids are still trying to formulate their own opinions about the world and you already hell bent on trying to bring down some of the largest coal companies in the world um you know i've heard you've been quoted death by a thousand paper cuts you know one violation after the next, trying to draw, you know, draw some blood from these guys and make them pay fines and, and you know, eventually have forced them to stop what they're doing. Um, but maybe go back to that. I mean, such an early age, that's probably surprising for a lot of people that you were kind of already, you'd already made the decision
2: like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I was 19 years old. In yeah. 2009. Uh, and I guess I should back up here a minute. You know, to kind of give you context around that, around why I made that decision to start yeah, working please. with this organization and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I was a senior in high school, right? And I went to Liberty High School in Glen Daniel, West Virginia, uh, Raleigh County. I actually graduated uh, 2008 um, somehow with, by the skin of my teeth. I was able to get out of there. Um, and, well, you know, I, like many people that are that age, especially in this area, you kind of got some decisions to make, right? Like, what right. are you going to do? How are yes. you going to provide for yourself? Right. And, uh, I really wanted to go to college and get the hell out of West Virginia and never look back. I wanted to do something I felt like was important with my life. You know, I wanted to like be an artist or make stuff or, you know, something cool. Uh, I didn't want to toil away in the coal mines. Yeah. Uh, like I'd seen so much of my family do. well, I was 17, um, and like I said, a senior in high school. Quickly learned that in this country, uh, you need money to go to college. Um, And I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't lucky enough to be, you know, to win the genetic roulette to be born into a family that had means. I was the first person in my immediate family to graduate high school, let alone have any inkling of an idea how to go about applying for financial aid or scholarships or any of that mess. right? Mm -hmm. And so I was stuck here. And like many people that stuck here, I made the decision to work for the coal industry. Uh, I worked at the Elk Run coal processing plant in Sylvester. My dad had worked there about 16, 17 years, something like that. And uh, he was able to get me on Um, I was just general maintenance, you know, some days wasn't so bad. They just had me like cutting grass and stuff or like they taught me how to weld. Um, So you weren't into the mines at that point. You, it was a lot of, yeah. Yeah. No, I, just to clarify, yeah, I've never worked underground, you know, that's, that's a whole different world right there. Yeah. Um, so I've never went into an actual like underground mine, like to work, you know? Uh, Yeah. But, uh, so I was, I was at, at the processing plant, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really the main job I had with the coal industry was that just general maintenance gig at Elk Run. But, you know, some days I'd be walking along the belt lines, which are those large conveyor belts you see going from place to place at these processing plants, and that's back in 2008. You know what company that was running that? That was Massey Coal, ran by Dom Blankenship himself. Yeah. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk about how they, you know, would run roughshod over any kind of safety uh, regulations or whatever, let alone environmental regulations, right? But, yeah, I could tell you from first-hand experience, like, walking along in belt lines and stuff, you know, you're, you're supposed to be clipped in with a harness and all that when you're hundreds of feet off the ground working on a piece of equipment. But I was taking too long, full of my harness and stuff, and... You know, my boss eventually got tired of it. This was, like, you know, a couple of weeks after me started working there. And he said that if he caught me clipping back in again to the railing, that I was going to be fired. And, you know, I'm a clumsy dude. Like, I'm not going to be hundreds of feet up in the air on a catwalk just a couple of feet wide and, like, no, I would have plummeted to my death. Uh, so I made the decision right then and there that I, I wasn't going to keep working that job. Um, but, yeah, um, fast forward a little bit and uh, I worked some minimum wage jobs dollar store, Dairy Queen, that sort of thing Uh, and while I was working at Dairy Queen I was offered a position as a security guard on a strip mine from a friend of my family's and I figured you know sitting on my butt for 12 hours making money you can't beat that Um, and so I took that job and uh, granted it was better than working at Dairy Queen as far as that's concerned but Within the first, like, week or two of me working up there, I felt miserable about, well, what I was doing and about where that money was coming from, going in my pocket, you know, um, and uh, what did they go? I was working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, at that site, and this was a surface mine out uh, near Nellis. Uh, it's, like, between the Boone County and Canal County border. Um, it was called Raven's Crest. I don't know if that permit has changed names since then or not. They often do. Um and well, that's when I first started coming around Cold River Mountain Watch, which was started by a lady named Judy Bonds. And Judy used to work at the gas station with my mama. And so that's how I know her. And I I knew her as like this lady that would give me a free pop every once in a while. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that you know, she'd started this whole organization and, and done all this amazing environmental work and stuff and uh yeah, so while I was working as a security guard, I came to to speak to Judy and, and figure out, you know, how I could get involved in stuff just to kind of, you know, ease my own mind about what I had been involved in and where my money was coming from because I didn't want, I mean, you can just know by looking at it, like, that's wrong. You feel bad that you were taking
0: money that you felt from a company or from an industry that you morally disagreed with, right? Is that kind of what you're saying?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not necessarily just the company or the industry, but their their activities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. watching what that machinery does, like and knowing, because like there was mines near my house when I was growing up, and I knew what we had to go through when I was a kid. You know, with our well water getting contaminated. Yeah, and dust absolutely. all over everything, you know what I mean? And knowing that that money was going into my pocket was putting them same problems on somebody else that lived down below At-Hill, you know what I mean? I didn't feel right about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's well, kind of the long story short on that.
1: Well, Junior, I mean, going back to even you like your childhood I've been reading, so it could be kind of chalked up as you know a blunt metaphor to you know to say like the after effects or toxic byproduct. Um, of coal mining, you know, hangs over our youth, right? Impacting everything from education to drinking water to cancer rates to employments. But literally, I'm looking at this picture and to me, it's just, you know, I was kind of preparing for this conversation. It's so striking because in your case, it looks like Marsh Fork Elementary School is quite literally, it is hanging above the school, like on the mountaintop, this giant 2.8 billion gallons of toxic coal sludge on the mountain. It's literally above the school. You know, God forbid that something break or leak. I mean, you can imagine it, it I'm sure it does seep into the surrounding areas. But you know, a cataclysmic event could happen, and that's literally above an elementary school where our children are going to youth. And that's somewhere that I believe where you went to elementary school with. So it's it's like a metaphor that it hangs above us, but it's literally and quite physically is a part of lives in 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 West Virginia.
2: Yes, yeah, so that is where I attended kindergarten through sixth grade. You know, my entire elementary school experience was at, at Marsh Fork Elementary School right there next to that, that slurry dam and the, the Gulf's coal prep plant. But, uh, that's actually got kind of a happy ending to it. That school is shut down now. Like they, there ain't kids going there no more. Uh, and that's because, uh, Coal River mountain launch was pretty instrumental in getting a new school built, uh, for them kids. Um, mm-hmm about five miles up the river from from that location so far away from slurry dams and coal mining activity i mean you're not super far from coal mining activity anywhere you are in southern west virginia but the new location for that school is like it's a good location there's not a slurry dam right over top of it you know what i mean and that's some of the proudest work i've ever been involved in my life was was getting a new location for that that school um and so yeah that thankfully there ain't kids going there no more you know um, yeah but huh sorry go ahead i don't even know what i was gonna say my bad no you're good man it's, it's
1: the the product of zoom interviews um but i was, I was just gonna say your, your your story is so important because i think there's often this misconception that people that oppose coal mining or have anything bad to say about coal mining or point out the the toxic you know results of it in any shape way or form or folks from somewhere else they're you know liberals from california or from new york city telling west virginians how to be and like but it's that's not really accurate i'm sure there are other activists that come into west virginia because of the, a lot of the action is here but you're a local you grew up in this your family was a part of this and it's like that's the the missing piece i think of the the conversation that gets had is that People that are impacted by mining and are West Virginians. They're your neighbor. They're your friends. They're your family. They're your grandma. They're our children. They're not like this faraway enemy coming here and telling us how to live and we just want to keep doing what we're doing. It's actually fellow West Virginians that are like, hey, y'all, like this is impacting me. This is like, you know, devastating my life or some capacity. So I think to me that's just like that's such an important piece. Um, and I'm I'm curious, do you feel like you've lost friendships? Do you feel like you've been kind of you know, side-eyed when you walk into Seven Eleven to get uh you know coffee in the morning from locals. Like, how has that maybe you know changed your life in that regard? Now, kind of speaking out against the coal mine when you were formerly kind of working with within it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say I've lost friendships just because I've never really had that many friends in the first place. Like, I growing up, man, like I was a weird kid. You know, like I was real into anime and, uh, like a staunch atheist. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I didn't make friends super easy, right? And so I was already a bit of a pariah in the community, so to speak. And so that's why I feel like it wasn't that difficult for me to make that leap to really put my neck out there and be like, no, nah, these coal mines are bad because I already didn't care what people said about me because. They already had their opinions, what they was gonna think. Um now as far as having to worry when I go out to the store or whatever, like on some level, yeah. Like I've been harassed a lot. Uh but this is West Virginia. You know, I carry a pistol on my hip anytime I leave this house. And people can say whatever in the hell they want to say to me, and that's all well and good, and they can say it but there's there comes a point they want to put their hands on me it ain't gonna go good for them
1: Does that ever happened is that yeah. ever happened where it's gotten pretty pretty contentious
2: i mean it's got close you know i've never had to draw down on somebody but yeah it's because they know you know like my family kind of has a reputation in this area we're not the most stable people um and so i think they kindly know better they give me a wide berth you know what i mean sure, not yeah. not to sound like some kind of manass no. or whatever but like not seriously like people know like that, like yeah maybe we can like you know yell something at him from across the parking lot but you don't want to go over it
0: <laughs> yeah you don't get to within six feet <laughs> you got to be careful so junior let me ask you then so in a perfect world like Clearly, one of the things that you guys are very against is mountaintop removal. But in a perfect world, does coal mining exist? Does coal mining, it you know, is coal mining in in this perfect world that you you would like to to have, or is it just better regulations or, or better companies taking more care of the employees, better care of the environment, uh, not toxic, you know, pouring poison and toxic into the water systems? Like what? Where where does you know even kind of your beliefs fall on that line. Is it, is it, can you be pro coal with, but, but also pro like health and environment or is, uh, is that not necessarily kind of how you see things?
2: It's not really how I see things just because like, uh, you know, st- studying the history of, of, of our state, like the coal mining industry has never brought anything other than, than strife and pain to the people that live here. Um, the same with any extractive industry, whether that's gas or timber or any of it, you know, there's always going to be some somebody sitting behind a desk somewhere in Bristol, Virginia or in New York or wherever all else. And they're going to be the ones that's reaping the benefit from that work that them men are doing back in that hole. You know, them men that are back in that hole, killing themselves with black lung, worrying about getting their backs broke in a roof fall. You know, they, they ain't going to get to send their kids to college. That man sitting behind that desk, making all that money, he's the one that's going to get to send his kids to college. The one sitting there in the state house in Charleston, making all them benefits off of the coal mining industry, they get to send their kids to college. You know, but somebody that goes back into a hole and gives themselves black lung for 12 hours a day can barely even make a truck payment? That's not right. And that's why I'm against the coal mining industry. I mean, you put anything else aside, like, yeah, the environmental part of it is bad. Yeah, the health effects on the surrounding communities, the higher rates of cancers, the higher rates of birth defects, that's real bad too. But, you know, this is the culmination of the American dream. This is capitalism at work. This isn't capitalism gone awry. This isn't the system that we live in malfunctioning. This is the way it was intended to work. You know, There, it was intended that there would be somebody that never has to work a day in their lives reaping all the benefit from the people sweating in a hole miles down underground. And that's what's wrong to me.
0: Yeah, West Virginia, uh, yeah, I agree. Powerful, powerful statements and, and beliefs. And, and West Virginia definitely has for a long time too long relied on big companies big extractive companies to come in and basically take what west virginia has to offer and runs and leaves doesn't come back they don't establish themselves here they do move away and you know it it, the, the point being is it that has happened forever in west virginia's history and that is something that needs to change that's desperately something that needs to change um but it is you. There's a, a a part or something that Cooper said too. It's it's hard to be. It's hard to go against the grain in West Virginia. You know, it's hard to go against coal. It's hard to go against timber. It's hard to go against, you know, whatever pick the industry. And you do have to uh, kind of pick and choose your battles. But certainly, you have not. You you don't mince words when it comes to fighting for what you believe in because this is something that you probably have seen. More than other people in West Virginia. And you've seen it your entire life. So, you know, I mean, it is a hats off to you for kind of continuing to defend what you truly believe in and the people and defending the people that may or may not be able to defend themselves or
2: or don't necessarily have a choice. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, man, like I I mean the stuff I say, you know, I don't, I'm not going to come on to a program like this or or speak publicly at all ever and say something that I don't believe with a hundred percent of my heart, you know, I'm not going to, you know, try to walk a tightrope, you know, just to, just to maybe get, uh, some middle of the road liberal to, you know, kind of see things more my way or whatever. Um, I was told a long time ago by Judy Bonds, who started the organization that I work with, that if you ride a fence. You're going to get splinters in your eyes, and she was talking about Jay Rockefeller. But I think that that sentiment could be uh, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a universal sentiment. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty kinda, good. Let's kind of catch back up to now too, because
0: I feel like we've we we haven't really touched on you know specifically how you are holding some of these companies accountable. So we know that you use a drone, and we know that you're flying it over some of these impoundments and some of these. Um, you know some of these cooperations, but what are you looking for? How do you actually do this? How do you how have you continued to get away with this? You know, kind of get into the specifics of how you are kind of this watchdog for these mining operations.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I guess I can answer that last part first. Like, how how do I get away with this? I mean, I've hunted in this area my whole life. Like, I know these ridges and hollers. Like, the you know where to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> the thing is like they keep security and stuff on these mine sites right but right on the main road like they don't get out of their truck like they act like there's only one way in and one way out of these complexes when it's surrounded by woods you know it's i'd have to be stupid not to get away with it um but yeah essentially the name of the game right um these these companies factor like environmental fines from the DEP in there into the cost of doing business. Like that ain't going to hurt them that bad. Like they expect to get caught on a lot of stuff like that. But what really disrupts them and their activities and hurts them in the pocketbook is when you find something that they have to take workers and equipment off from actively mining coal to go back to a different section of the site to fix something right? That's what really financially burdens them. And if we can do that enough, that'll make it economically unfeasible for them to continue these large-scale surface mining operations. And so that's really the the goal at the end of the day.
1: And so I want to recommend folks listening to this, um, the, the Why Coal Companies Love Bankruptcy video. I think, Junior, you appeared in that. Um, it's a short 23-minute uh, you know, kind of a little documentary by uh, Bloomberg Business Week. I think it 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 really kind of sums up this game, we hope to kind of do it justice here for audio listeners. But I think so there's something about visually seeing it play out on the video is kind of helpful too. But it's like you said, it's a formula that you can change your name and permit and resources and switch LLCs, and then all of a sudden the responsibility for cleaning up can shift hands. So maybe if you can speak a little bit about that strategy or like how that works, I think folks maybe struggle to understand, like, why don't they just, you know, that coal mine that was there, why don't they just go find the CEO? But like, it's a little bit more, it's a, it's a legal game of like, you know, who's holding the potato at the end of it. Right. So, I mean, maybe help us kind of understand how that works and how they evade responsibility for the cleanup efforts after they've, you know, maybe extracted the coal. Right. Yeah.
2: And, and coal companies have been playing that game since the, since the seventies. I mean, it's all a, it's all about subsidiaries you know like y- you have a bunch of problems on this mine site well they're they i guess whatever llc subsidiary that's over that mine site needs to go bankrupt and we need to figure out a new llc subsidiary whatever to take it over um and it's just a, a corporate shell game is is what it's a like you know like you think about that shell game where you got three cups on the table and you put something under one of the cups yeah. spin them around or whatever yeah it's the same thing that they're doing but just with subsidiaries um which is like essentially an offshoot of the larger company and that's how they're able to to duck responsibility uh most of the time what um so what
1: do you have like a rough idea so uh, say there's You know, hypothetically 100 strip mine sites or coal sites, how many of them actually get fulfilled and restored as best they can? You know, is it 10%, is it 5%, is it 30%? Like, what would you estimate actually comes through when when they say they're going to repair the land once they leave?
2: I mean, just an estimation off the top of my head, I'd say less than 2%. Less than 2%, less than 2% of the land mass for sure. Is there opportunity
1: for the land? Is there anything that can reasonably done be done on the land once it is, you know, mined? Like is there like have maybe the question is like have there been successful like reclamations? Yeah. Like 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 does there it, are companies that do that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, there there probably are. This is getting a bit out of my wheelhouse, you know, because okay. that's just not the, the part that I focus on. And like specifically in my community, I haven't I haven't seen it, you know. But I know there are programs that do like uh you know different different things on abandoned mine lands uh whether that's like raising bees or lavender or whatever but I feel like just a uh, you know from what I've heard about a lot of them projects it's people from out of state you know coming in and writing grants to get access to all this land and then making all kind of promises to the local people and never following through with them um i mean i don't know y'all might be able to find and point out like one or two examples of a project like that that have actually succeeded but it would be news to me um and as far as like being able to build things on these abandoned mine lands like when they do these large-scale surface mining operations it completely breaks up the the bedrock right with the the explosives that they're using and all that um and yeah, uh, the Walmart in Logan, West Virginia, is a perfect mm-hmm. example. That was built on abandoned mine lands, and every year they have to keep shoring up the foundation because it's just sinking into itself. And mm-hmm. I think Walmart was actually suing whatever coal company they got that land off of. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, the irony. Yeah right, Clash of the Evil Giants or whatever.
1: It was, uh, it's, you know, it's fucked up when you know, Walmart's like trying to like doing the coal company, <laughs> like trying to be like, hey, we we've been wronged here, it's like Walmart.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, so yeah, exactly. But so like challenges like that is what you're gonna have to look out for anytime you're thinking about doing something on an abandoned mine land. I mean, yeah, I mean, not to mention so. if you're thinking about doing like agricultural stuff, like there's a lot of contamination that you're gonna have to deal with, like. And there's not even, like, all the, you know, like, arable land that was on that hillside is now at the bottom of a valley field. So, like, any topsoil you want to use, you're going to have to truck in. And that isn't really economically feasible.
0: Yeah. Talk about some of your accomplishments in the over 10 years that you've been doing this. You've been flying these drones. You've been going to the DEP. You know, what are some of the major milestones that you guys have hit?
2: right well in this work accomplishments are few and far between um i will say something we touched on earlier is uh Fork elementary school getting yep, that yep. school room. that's some of the proudest work i've ever been involved in um and i'm not even act like saying i had a lot to do with it but i was around for it and uh incredibly glad that none of them kids has to go to school there anymore yeah. you know when i yeah no it That was not a healthy environment to try to learn in. And, uh, yeah, uh, beyond that, I mean, it's really more of a question of what things would look like if we didn't exist, if we Yeah, go there. there What would it
0: look like? Yeah. Yeah.
2: look question. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, you know, I can't like tell you, but I would assume it would be a lot worse. You know, if there wasn't somebody actively going out there and keeping an eye on these, these coal mines, like. You know, just last week, I found a bunch of black water coming out of Marshall Collar into the main Coal River, like, and it was obvious, like, looking straight down with the drone, it was like, oh, that's a black creek flowing into the river. Look at that. You know, just like, how often would things like that happen if they didn't have to look over their shoulders and worry that somebody was going to see them and, and report them to the DEP? Yeah. Junior, Um, what do you think
1: uh like where's the best place for people to start like you know if someone listens to this and it's like you know it's like okay that that's upsetting like i should do something i should be a part of it like i mean i'm sure a part of your role is just simply public awareness like you're you you actually are an active like you know thorn in the side of these mining companies that are doing bad things let's let's not get it twisted like they're you know some of the not cleaning up not doing the things the poisoning the water those were those should be called out and you know brought attention to but also just someone that has nothing to do with coal mining that lives in West Virginia, but is concerned about it because it affects every facet of life, like what are maybe some of the best things that you could say to do? I mean, educate themselves, is it show up at community meetings, is it, of course like voting and that sort of thing is like a obvious thing, like vote for people that maybe are, you know, have this on the radar, but are there other practical things that West Virginians could do maybe to to be a part of this and maybe, you know, try to bring about change?
2: yeah i'd say uh you you could keep an eye on the coal river mountain watch social media we're pretty active on on facebook and stuff and when there's like dep hearings or things like that for like coal mines or coal mine renewals or any time that the the deps having like a public hearing on you know anything surrounding any of these coal mining operations like be there Mm -hmm. make your voice heard like I'm at every single, I'm on every one of these DEP public hearings and, you know, there might be four or five people, you know, call in or whatever. Cause it's usually an online thing, uh, these days it used to be in person, but you know, things happen, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, show up to stuff like that, you know, um, beyond that, uh, I'd say if you see something, let, let us know, like a lot of stuff we'll, we'll know about already. Like, over in Cabin Creek, there's a, you know, a creek that looks like a little waterfall comes off the hillside, frothy white, like, over there near Capered Mountain, and uh, that's like one of those things that's so jarring and obvious to see from from the main road, you know, um, and so if you see things that are like that, send us pictures of it, uh, document it, um, and if you want to, you know, you could take the initiative and get a whole DP yourself on, on stuff like that as well, but... Mm-hmm don't let these companies just get away with what they're doing because it's not right um you know try to insert yourself into the you know into the into the process um and that's how you that's how you hold them accountable um now as far as DEP actually taking action on things and making making an actual difference the only the only time they actually do is when we hold their feet to the fire you know, so depending on the issue that you're looking at, might take six months to a year to be able to get DEP to move on it. But we'll we'll help you out on that as much as we can. You know, if if, if you find something, Junior, yep.
1: thanks man. Yep. Um, Absolutely, such such an important conversation. And again, I just want to stress that people listening that you know these effects the 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 things that happen in you know coal mining, you know they impact your neighbors, your friends, your family, your grandma, your brother, your sister, your children. Like it's not, I think sometimes we just like this fictional world where it's us versus some other evil force or something like that. But it's, it's like, these are fellow West Virginians that are being impacted by this and saying like, Hey, this, this isn't right. We should, you know, we should should get something figured out here because, you know, people are dying and are, you know, otherwise being impacted by this. I think that's just always a reminder that if you love West Virginian. If you love our people. Okay. It's like, then we have to think about all the people that this affects and the trickle down effect of that. Um, so yeah, and you're doing, and you're a key part of that work, man. So you should feel
2: proud of yourself and, uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. I I, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I'll just say like, yeah, we've had some support from like out of state before, um, but all of our staff has, you know, we either live here or we got like family ties here uh, there's only four of us actually that are on staff at Coal river mountain watch right now and three of us actually live on Coal river um so and it was we were started by a lady from Marfor collar you know judy bonds um and the leaders of, of this work uh, of the anti-surface mining movement that that uh have always been been locals here you know it, it ain't coming from coastal elites you know Trying to bear down on you and tell you, "Oh, that ain't right." How you're, you know, providing for yourself or whatever. It, like you said, this is coming from your friends and your neighbors and other your your the people who who call this place home. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the problem too. Is that yeah, we call this place home, but a lot of them coal miners and stuff they drive in an hour from Beckley, an hour from Charleston, you know, driving plumb from Bluefield and Princeton or wherever all else to come down into our area and tear up our land and poison our water. And then they get to drive back home and, and have decent water, and decent air to breathe and get to send their kids to school, not underneath of a slurry dam. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of the facts on the ground. I appreciate y'all, uh, you know, taking time to, to speak to me about all this this morning too. So thank you. Cool. Junior, thank you very much yeah thank you
1: man we'll stop it there thank you junior um